Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Cardistry Talk. This is episode 41, and today I'm joined by Andre. You may know Andre from his brand Moment X Cards. You may also know him for his really good isolation moves on Instagram, as well as just regular moves as well. I'm super happy to have Andre on the show and to talk about Cardistry. So Andre, thanks for being here. Thanks so much, Caleb, for you know, having me on and for um, you know staying up late to do this. It's, it's going to be really cool. Yeah, so we have a pretty big time gap. So this is actually the morning for Andre, and then it's a little bit later for me. But we're gonna we're gonna make it work. So first thing I kind of want to jump into the most recent thing with you is obviously Moment X cards. So just kind of how did you get inspired to make the deck and kind of discover that you wanted to make your own brand and your own playing cards? Back in twenty, I think 12, 2013, um, I or twenty thirteen when when now you see me was being sort of you know. Uh, promoted uh, around uh, I got quite um, you know interested in, in looking at, um, at at people do these really fancy shuffles and at that point I didn't know what they were but from what it looked like it was Pandora it was you know tornado cut it was all these aerials and I thought oh you know that's that's not magic but it looked really really cool and you know it looks like you know something that I would I would love to do um, and um, you know several months later when when the when the movie came out and I went there on the premiere and you know I just I was just sitting there for like two hours in absolute like astonishment at what these people can do, um, and you know I just knew that I wanted to 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 do something you know like that. I didn't know exactly what it was. I had no clue, but I knew that I wanted wanted to do it. And equally as much, I knew that I wanted to eventually one day make my own deck, just because I felt like you know if I am gonna commit and and commit my time and you know spend a lot of time doing this, I would love to work my way up to a point where I can, I guess, just have something that's my own within a community like that. And for me, that just, it really made all the difference like that. that that's how it all really began. Um, and, um, you know, several years later, I, you know, was, I actually made a couple of trial decks, just like not this design, just, just completely just for fun. Mm -hmm. Um, but I never liked the way I, I made them and I didn't know anything about stock or, or finishes. So I just thought, you know, I'm not going to do it now. I'll, I'll I'll do it in a couple more years when I'm when I'm a bit more recognized and I have a bit more of a following and you know people actually know who I am instead of coming out of the woods out of nowhere and you know working my way up I thought you know after a while I thought I might as well I might as well go for it um, and last year I uh, I started making some you know uh, designs and I thought you know I wanted to I just wanted to trial it out, see how it, see how it works. And if, it, if I like it, I'm going to go ahead with it. If I don't like it, I'm not going to go ahead with it. And I like the way I, I designed my deck. And, and from there, I just, I never look back. I just wanted to keep doing it until it's done. And then congratulations on getting it funded in 36 hours, I think it was. Yeah, 36 hours. Yeah, it's, it was very, very fast. It was, um, it was like 50, 60% in the first like 24 hours. And then it just sort of just jumps in the last like, in, in that last 12 hour bracket, it just really jumped quite quickly. Now I think it's like at 130, 40, oh, 130%, I think now. So it's, it's it's just, it's still going, which is great. Um, so more people will be, will be getting their decks, which I'm really happy about. Mm -hmm. What was kind of the inspiration behind the deck? I know you have a lot of light blues and a lot of light pinks in it, as well as a lot of customization on the courts and faces. What was kind of the inspiration and design that you wanted to put into the deck? I've always liked looking at um, you know different sort of street arts and and you know just like even these like really just basic graffiti. But I've always enjoyed taking photos of them, um, just because I like to sort of manipulate those in post production, and 
um, last year when I was in a graffiti tunnel in Sydney, which is like this huge, like, you know, about a kilometer long tunnel. Um, and it's, it's all like legal graffiti that goes on there. Every artist really comes and they just paint whatever they want, whenever they want. Um, you know, I thought, you know, I would love to, I would love to, to graffiti something that would be symbolic to me. And I did. And after taking some photos of it and at the same time I was doing some cardistry, I, as soon as I got home, I was thinking, you know, it'd be really cool to sort of mash these together to like sort of literally combine cardistry and street art just to like see how it is if I, you know, intertwine them uh, as much as I could. And I did. And it just, you know, it just looked really great, you know, on, um, on Illustrator. And I thought, I'm just going to keep, I'm going to just keep manipulating, you know, every photo that I can, like for every court card and, and make it look as, um, as strange as possible until it, until it comes out to something that I feel that I would be happy using and that I would like to look at a lot. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how, that's kind of how I came to it. I just, I, I've always been a big fan of art and I've always been a big fan of, of, um, uh, of like really strong colors. Um, I mean, you can see kind of in the background, you know, all these colors, I have them all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, like there's actually, there's this, um, there's this big festival in Sydney that happens annually. I, I don't think it happened last year because of COVID and stuff, but um, this year it should go on. Uh, and it's partly the inspiration for this deck. It's called the, the Vivid Light Festival. Mm-hmm. And you've got like the entire city going, you know, like neon blue, neon purple, neon white, like every color really imaginable um, going on throughout the city on sky- skyscrapers and, you know, at the Sydney Opera House, you've got that going on for about two weeks, every single day for several hours. And um, I've always, you know, thought of, you know, like how beautiful that looked and how vibrant it looked and, you know, it catches people's eyes. It's not, you know, it's not like one of those colors that you can necessarily like associate to, to something else. Like this is very, very like futuristic cyberpunk look. And I've always really um, loved that. Half of my wallpapers in, on my phone or devices, they're all cyberpunk style. Mm-hmm. So I thought it'd be great to combine that into, into my own deck. Mm-hmm. And then talking about the the Vivid Lights Festival, obviously mm-hmm. you named your performance video Vivid. I would yeah. like to kind of jump into like the creative process of how you made some of the moves for Vivid as well as just, you know, talking about move creation is one of the focuses on the show. So I would love to hear mm-hmm. kind of what your thought process is when trying to create moves. I know you make a lot of isolations um, as well as packet cuts. I'm particularly mm-hmm. interested in isolations because I'd never create them. But um, kind of what's your aspect and viewpoint when it comes to making moves? Um, well, I'll, I'll split it into two ways. One would be isolations, one would be packet cuts because I have two separate <clears throat> ways of doing it for, for, for them. Um, for isolations, really, it, it, <laughs> it's funny, actually, the process. It, um, it's very unorthodox. I, either, I'm not joking when I, when I say this. I, I really am not joking. It sounds absurd, but I'm, I'm not joking. Um, I either have very, very like lucid dreams in which I dream of doing certain moves. And then I have to, when I get up, I try and recreate those moves. And half the time, if I can't, I figure out ways of doing it. You know, whether I use, you know, a lot of like saliva or I have to do, you know, I have to, um, you know, make sure that the room temperature is very, very humid in order to actually do it. But I want to figure out ways of doing it. and I, like, that's, that's one way, usually through dreams. Another way is, and I used to do it before, I used to uh, draw a lot. 
I used to draw uh, in my, I have like a notebook up on my shelf here with like, like 30 or 40 different isolations over the last four or five years. And I would draw them out and I would write like um, little descriptions for each step that would go. Mm. And I would then try and recreate them or try to um, try to see them through that light. Because when, when you put them on a 2D scale, you then have, in my opinion, more possibilities sometimes to see where that certain card can, can go because you can manipulate the drawing and then it makes it easier to put that manipulation into the actual work of, of the cards. Um, so for me, that's kind of how I make isolations. I, I, I usually, and what I do, when, when people sometimes ask me like how I make them and I, I basically tell them the same thing, um, which, you know, which I'll tell you now, it's, I, I think of really the most absurd thing I could do with the deck of cards. Mm -hmm. And then I try to do it. Mm -hmm. The stupider the idea, the better it is because I think a lot of the time, like, and I, I did, I did this in the past when I was first starting out, whenever I would think of an idea that would to me look cool, I would think, no, that would look pretty stupid. If, if done at this angle, it would, it would, it wouldn't look nice. It wouldn't be conducive. It's something that I would want to see or I would like, and I would sort of shy away from going into those ideas, which I think hindered my, my progress over the years because I sort of delayed that creativity to mm -hmm. be expanded. If this is an idea that I think is stupid, I'm going to do it. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And 90% of the time it works. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but in regards to packet cuts, that is a very different process. Mm -hmm. I Oftentimes I, um, I watch a lot of videos by, um, by Carter in particular and Lewis and Edgar. Um, the last few months, definitely I've been watching a lot of a lot of their a lot of their uh, videos and, and getting inspired by by their moves quite a bit mainly because they are in my opinion they're very they're very unorthodox moves they're not moves that you sort of can i guess like you can't predict what's going to happen next because you've got that sort of you've got that sort of um uh, mystery to it which is part of their in my opinion it's part of their um style and, and i quite I, I quite like that and for me, I've always tried to sort of make cuts that make people go, oh, I didn't really expect that to, to happen there. You know, oh, and even for myself, if I can, if I see a cut that I like, it's usually because I probably would not predict that, that that specific movement is going to happen next, which is why, I, which is what I try to make in my moves. So, mm. yeah. I think it's really interesting. Um, you, I mean, just dreaming, that's something I've never heard from anybody. So that's really cool. Um, not kidding. <laughs> I'm but, kidding. But um, the one other thing I, I think note I want to mention is the fact that you say like think of the most ridiculous or outlandish thing you can think of and then try to do it. That's something like I've tried to implement when I try to make moves. Specifically, I do a lot of footstall stuff, which I need to post more of. But um, whenever I look at footstall moves, especially, I try to think of what's the most ridiculous thing that could be done with that. I think I have a quote, like basically saying the exact same thing somewhere in the podcast. I'm going to look it up. Like I try to think of the coolest thing uh, Cardis could do in a situation and then try to figure it out from there. Um, and most of the time, 95% of the time, however many percent of the time, most of the time it doesn't work out. Um, but just putting yourself in that awkward position where you're like trying to do something that's awesome um, usually can create either something completely different or sometimes it actually works out. One thing too that uh, a lot of viewers had mentioned they were 
curious what your thoughts on this were. And I think this is something you mentioned too, was just mm. how do you kind of get over creative blocks um, or kind of burning out in cardistry? Um, do you have any suggestions when it comes to that? Um, yeah, look, uh, I think, I think it's, I think it's a normal process. I think that a lot of people, especially people who are not necessarily, who have not necessarily been in this community for too long, they sort of think, you know, burning out is a sign that you are not going to pick up cards ever again. And, you know, if it's something, you know, bad and it's not bad, like I've, I've burnt out, I think freaking like six, seven, eight times in the, in the last eight years. Like it, it's normal, like at least once a year, I sort of have a bit of a burnout. But it, but it's 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 an it's a normal process. Everyone goes through it. It's it's more or less, you know. People also get confused as to how to get over it. And a lot of the times, um, the way I the way I handle it is that I don't look, or I don't listen, or I don't pick up a deck of cards for however long I feel is necessary. I like it's tempting but I put everything related to cards away. Like I just, I put it in the drawer. I don't look at it. Any paraphernalia of cards, I, I put it away. I don't, I don't have it anywhere near me. And that allows me to sort of, you know, unclench from that, you know, from that burning out period. And I get to focus on other things and have my mind go elsewhere instead of having to solely, you know, latch on to, to, to cards as a, you know, way of like, you know, convincing myself that that I you know I still like it if I if I don't at that point in time and I think that a lot of people just sort of need to sort of like if you're feeling burnt out just detach yourself from it you don't have to do it like it, no one's forcing you to do it um and you know if you just don't feel the love for it for days weeks months whatever it is then so be it you will come back to it when it's time forcing it's not going to help I think that that's if anything it's more detrimental to your um to your love for the art form i you know I, I know many times i used to continue to do cards even through a burnout period and i would be like i i would not be you know making um you know good moves and i would not be making you know good progress with anything and i just i felt that it was just not conducive with with with, with good creativity or good mindset with it so if you don't want to do it you don't have to do it just take a break for however long you need and just do something completely different, like nothing to do with cards. If you like to read, just read as many books as you want. If you like to draw, draw whatever you want. You know, do any other hobby but cards for however long you need until mm -hmm. that feeling dissipates. Yeah. And I think what you find too with a lot of cardists is they usually have um, like another hobby that they do. Like for Leo, he skateboards, he makes movies. Most cardists mm -hmm. have like multiple outlets of creativity and then just hobbies in general so yeah if you're definitely feeling burnt out i think um not trying to force it and then go to some of those other hobbies get inspiration from those other hobbies whether you realize it or not and then bring it back you'll be a lot more creative i i know you you uh, talked about uh drawing video games and stuff like that obviously you talked about the illustration when it comes to um some of your moves have you found that your other hobbies have intertwined into your cardistry at all um i think so i think so i uh, i think especially especially drawing i think uh came into or comes into the in, into that aspect of cards quite a bit um 
I think, oh, I think because really with drawing, you've got sort of, you've got huge creative freedom when you do it. You've got mm-hmm. this, got this obviously blank page and you can draw whatever the hell you want and it's completely okay, whatever it is. And I think that that has also shaped my view on creativity and creating with cards that it's totally okay to make whatever you want. It's whatever it is, it's fine. It's yours. It's, it's, you know, as long as it's original, it's completely yours, you know? So it, it doesn't necessarily matter what it is, as long as you're creating something that you're happy with. I think that's, that's what I've learned, especially through drawing. If you're happy with what it looks like and how it looks like, then it doesn't matter kind of what anyone else really thinks, as long as you're happy with it. So that's, that's sort of how it shaped my opinion as well. Um, video games, not so much. Video games, it's kind of like a bit of a, like a, like a <laughs> mental blank when I, go into, when I go into the aspect of video games. I just sort of go, go in there and I am not focused on absolutely anything. It's almost, I mean, I guess to an extent it does help my creative process because it clears my mind off of everything, playing video games. It sort of clears my mind and then I come back to it and then I look at cards with a, you know, like a, like a fresh start, like a clean slate. And I don't have any of those, you know, random ideas buzzing through my head. I just have this like a you know, brand new, you know, um, brand new page really to start drawing or making cards with. So in that respect, it does help, um, but it doesn't necessarily give me any sort of creative um, direction when I make things. Usually, I know, I know people stumble upon mechanics or something that, that then they work on. And that's great. Like I've, I've done that as well. But for me, I whenever I make moves, I have an intention to make a move. I don't necessarily just make it, you know, out of the blue. I, kind of, I mean, I do sometimes, but like most of the time, I, I sit down and I have an intention. I want to make a card that looks like this or that uses a mechanic that has a spring or that has um, a flick of two cards going in an anti-clockwise direction. Like, like I have a very, very specific layout to when I create so that I sort of meet each checkpoint as it goes. Um, like a move that I posted uh, yesterday, I don't know if you saw it. It was it's called flip flop. It has like the sort of waving motion of the um, of the of the packets. Yeah, basically with that one, I wanted to sort of make something that had uh, like a like the infinity symbol um, look to it, and mm-hmm. that's what I was trying to do when I was making the packets move in those directions. I was trying to make it look like that, um, and you know I spent a little while just trying to figure out really how to how to shape it like that, and I couldn't do that for a while so I was just really sitting down and I was um you know for a couple of hours just looking at each packet and its rotation and its fluidity and trying to sort of like you know when you sort of you know when you draw and you want to try and make something as precise as possible so that it looks neat that's what I was trying to do here I was trying to make it look very 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 neat in its sort of creative process so that it doesn't you know come out looking like a really big you know pile of nothingness Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know what I mean so, you know, uh, in, in that sense, in that sense, those types of other hobbies sort of intertwine. Um, I, I'm just trying to think, you know, reading, I guess reading to an extent, it does help with my naming process though, because my names are really strange. And I, I just, I'm, my names of the moves are really weird and they sometimes have absolutely zero relevance to the move itself. Um, 
but for me, I maybe had I maybe made a move while watching a movie or while reading something, and then I, you know, either use the title of that one of that specific book, or I use the title of the movie or the song or something that I found that that, that I um uh, that which which then I actually named the movie because I was creating it at the same point in time when I was uh, doing the other stuff. So I sort of pay homage to the to the other stuff that I do with the naming process. But um, yeah, that's 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 how it is with me. <laughs> so now that we talked kind of about the creative process of making moves, I also kind of want to look into the creative process of filming videos with those moves. I know a pretty common question I've had from the viewers for you was kind of how do you make a solo video and kind of some tips when it comes to that. When it came to making Vivid and some of the solo videos you've made in the past, do you have any tips or any, you know, ideas about how to make a good solo video? Yeah, um, I think that um, I think that the first thing is when you're trying to make a solo video is you need to be prepared well in advance to make one. Um, I would give I would give at least two to three weeks in advance to prepare everything to actually make it. Um, I think that you need to, I mean, not everyone has the availability of a high-end camera or, you know, the best lighting and that's completely fine. You have to use what you, what you have around you. But to make a good solo video, you need to, you need to do a couple of things. You need to either, um, you need to actually either film outside if you don't have any like artificial lights around, film outside, film in a hallway with one of those lights above you because in post-production you can change or edit the lighting to you know, look a little bit different so you don't necessarily need to worry too much about that uh, when filming. Um, you need to film the same move in several camera angles, at least three or four different angles mm -hmm. because edit them, you can mash them together and it looks much more involving, especially if you're filming by yourself. You don't have someone to actually film for you. That's a way to make it a much more um, uh, interactive process for someone watching. Um, and I think being completely satisfied with all of your moves. You know, if you feel that one of your moves doesn't have a good finish, or you know, one uh, one of the moves you just you don't like the opener too, but you know, you can't be bothered to change it now. Either you wait for your solo video and do that in, the, in like a month time when you're happy with the opener, or just take that move out because either way there's going to be a bit of a discrepancy there if you find if you like maybe eight or nine moves of yours but you don't like one of them either take that one out or uh or change it up and then film the solo video later because you know solo videos are not something that you do monthly you do it maybe once a year once every you know two years for some people so you know try and be as happy as you can be with what you're actually um, producing and use literally whatever you have around you if you if you live in a place that you know is completely barren then take some props with you from you know from maybe your home like from home or go to if you can especially during covid it, it's a bit different now but uh, if you can go to um you know any public space because you can go to like you said for example <clears throat> you want to say say for example you have a deck of cards that is very um uh, very intricate, like any of the Theory 11 decks, any of the Illusionist decks, you want to film a solo video with them. Go to a place that has very, you know, historic looking buildings, go to a library, film outside because you've got those extremely, um, you know, like an extreme, extremely different landscape to it. And it actually fits with the theme that you're going with, especially with the cars you're using. 
Um, and that's another thing, actually, just as I'm linking that together. Theme, if you are going to film a solo video, try and cover the specific theme that you want. If you wanna make it look more cinematic, then you may need to focus on different times of day when filming, especially if you don't have lights around you, like artificial lights. Film either at dusk or dawn, but you have to really time that very well and make sure that you're there on time. And, you know, prepare that all in advance, and mm-hmm. you know, check the area is not you know somewhere where it's going to be raining or something like. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of things that you have to do in advance, but yeah. that's just the process of it. Um, another thing is, I don't necessarily like to film solo videos outside because it can get very windy here, and that's not going to be good for my cards, especially when they're flying everywhere and having to reshoot that a thousand times is not going to help. So if you can film inside, usually is more controlled of an environment. Um, so you're going to have less, like a lower likelihood of losing your parts or screwing up them over a thousand times. Um, and also just try to sort of remain, I guess, you know, it's like calm when you're performing because that sort of performance anxiety can come over you when you least expect it. And, you know, you feel like the move is ready or you've got your repertoire ready to go, but, then when you start filming and you know that's for your solo video it's like oh well i'm just gonna screw it up now everywhere which does happen you know mm-hmm. it, it does happen everyone everyone goes through that i think it was you know with the birds um video from a few years ago that uh, ss17 they were filming for like i think a week or something for that video like you know because either they didn't do the most right or the camera wasn't specifically in focus or something rather so you know you've got different external things that can happen you just need to account for them so just plan plan and then prepare everything that you need to well in advance um that would be one of the main things oh actually the main thing really that i would uh, take away from that one question specifically i had from a viewer when it comes to you know creating videos and solos was um, if you had any tips on camera angles because there's uh someone said that you they think you have really good camera angles when it comes to your moves that's good. Yeah, I, I try to sort of, um, I try to make the camera angles really as, as uh, creative as, as possible. Uh, I have a tripod here, which is kind of what I use for everything, really, if I'm filming, filming by myself. Um, but for me, camera angles, well, they differ for every move. Some moves are going to have really atrocious angles. Like you, you would think that it's like the ugliest move, you know, known to mankind if you film mm-hmm. it from like a, you know, like a, top down or even from a down looking up angle like it's a very it would look really horrible um but then there are some moves and leo uh, has is, is a very good example of that he's got a lot of moves that are close up um but they, they sort of immerse you into each of the moves because the angle is very very um sort of tight like around the move and it doesn't really have a lot of negative space around so it, um in that sense but Look, I think the best tips I can give for camera angles are um, you need, it's, it's, it's a lot of trial and error. If you feel that, um, if you feel that your move can benefit, especially if it's an aerial move, sometimes it can benefit from having a top-down angle at least half a meter to a meter above your height, because then when you edit it, you A, have more of a frame to work with, so nothing will be out of frame. Um, and also you can, um, you know, you can sort of, in your editing process, you can actually zoom in. And when you're editing for Instagram to post or wherever, if it's for YouTube, if it's for Instagram, you can actually shape it so it looks how it should be uh, mm-hmm. instead of having, you know, 
everything look really horrible, which I've, I've, I've had in the past. I, for years, I was trying to deal with camera angles and I could never get them to work. I just, I could never get them to work. They were always very, um, uh, very off for me, but, you know, definitely working from a top-down angle. Hold on. I actually just show you something. Okay. So, yeah, the light is going down. This is my camera. And for me, half the time, if I'm filming any cut, I can kind of get my cards to about this this um, this close and mm -hmm. still be in focus. But for me, if I do any cut or any move, really, it's going to be out of frame, even though this is a wide angle lens, it's still going to be out of frame. So for me, if I find, if I want to do any cut, whether it be, say for example, a judo talk, right? If I do a judo from this angle, this deck is not going to be seen at all. This will be slightly. So for people, if you want to actually see the move, you need to tilt it really like this or like that in order to actually see what's going on. Oh, and then I would say, keep it to about this length really, or this like distance, because that's the only way really that you're going to see everything that goes on. Otherwise it's just not conducive with, with, with making anything look good. Now, if you're doing a two-handed or anything cut, I would say keep it around uh, like a 45 degree angle, but keep it very far away. Keep it in focus, but keep it far away. In post, you can edit it and you can zoom it in. And I've done this many times. I've done it close up and everything to have like a shallow depth of field. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what kind of depth of field you have because if you can't get it in frame because it's too close, it's not gonna look good. So keep it further away. Keep it, um, obviously, you, know, you, you and other people would know hopefully about like f-stops. Keep it at a very shallow, uh, no, sorry, a very long f-stop, so maybe like four, five, six. Keep it further away so you have everything in focus um, and you can sort of be sure that everything will be ready to go when, you, when you're in post. But um, I would say keep, I would say also just get creative with the, with the camera angles. Don't, don't do everything that you see, you know, on Instagram. If you feel that you can do something better, try and do it. Like, you know, it, it doesn't matter. There's no set rule how, you, how you're supposed to, you know, make your camera or make your video look like. It's just more or less something that you have to you have to try. And, and for every person, for every location, it's going to be different. For me, I keep these angles only because I have these different lights that I can use, like studio lights that I can actually use to, you know, shoot at different angles. But if people don't have those lights and you only have a window, great, use the natural light, but you may not be able to get the same angle. So you may need to keep your tripod here your camera facing here, your window is over there. You need to keep your tripod and your camera like this. There's no other way. You just have to make that work. So it's just really getting creative with your environment as well and, and utilizing any props that you have around to maybe, you know, tilt your camera at a certain angle that, you know, that, um, uh, that will help get your move to look even better on camera. Andre, at the end of the show, what I like to do is um, what I call roll out the close-up pad. That's just my way of saying, um, is there any last nugget or thing that you would like to promote? I want to make it clear that for anyone who is starting out or who is still relatively new within the community and who's still starting out with cards or even for however long you are with it, it sort of goes to everyone, but especially to people studying the whole beginning. Um, make sure that you're doing the art form because you like it and try and learn from people that have been in that in this environment for a very long time, especially when you're starting out. Try and not focus on copying people or copying people's styles. Just try and do 
try and do what you feel that you're comfortable with because at the beginning you know it can look very sort of daunting everything around and obviously it's a very massive place so you kind of don't know where to put your to put your foot first so try and eventually find your style and not not find anyone else's to copy even if it's you know inadvertent but you know doing doing you know um doing a lot of research i think as well on the types of people that you would like to maybe emulate and then finding your own your own area of where you'd like to be within that is a good place to go to especially later on depending on how on how far you're, you are along in your uh, journey through this community but don't get stuck on 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 you know sort of you know trying to make the best move or trying to like you know make the next best move just just try and be happy with what you're doing and from there really that, that's all you need to worry about truly that's all you need to worry about mm-hmm. so that's uh great words of advice i'll leave links to andre's stuff in the description for both his personal account and um as well as moment x cards andre i want to thank you for being on the show i hope everybody um, enjoyed the listen, maybe learned a little bit something, had a little fun. It's been a, a lot of fun. Andre, once again, thanks for being on the show, and uh, we'll see you guys later. Thanks, man.